The general is sorry to be informed that the foolish and wicked practice of profane cursing and swearing, a vice heretofore little known in an American army, is growing into a fashion. He hopes the officers will, by example, as well as influence, endeavour to check it, and that both they and the men will reflect that we can have little hope of the blessing of heaven on our arms if we insult it by impiety and folly. Added to this, it is a vice so mean and low, without any temptation, that every man of sense and character detests and despises it. The words of General George Washington. And this is the Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we will take a look at Republicans who are abandoning the Trump ship and how they're being received by Democrats. We'll discuss Greenland and Jewish loyalty in our hot take segment, and we'll wrap up with our Guardian of the Week. But first, Mammoth just put out a brand new poll on what the public thinks about impeachment. Uh, yes, indeed we have. And we've actually been asking a question over the past two years that is exactly the same question that Gallup used early in the Nixon impeachment process. But this time, we decided to add a bunch of follow-up questions because the House Judiciary Committee under uh, Representative Jerry Nadler has actually launched an inquiry now. So on our trend question, the question that we've been asking since July of 2017, which is whether you want to see Trump impeached and removed from office, we've seen very little change in public opinion. So right now it stands at 35% who support removing Trump from office via impeachment and 59% oppose that. Now, support has varied very little since we started asking this question. It's been between 35% and 42% over the past two years. But that means that we're at the lower end of that range. That 35% number is at the bottom of where it's been varying over the past few years since uh, Trump took office. Yeah, that shouldn't be a terrible surprise because we're sort of the Mueller report did not give the momentum to it, it seems, to sort mm -hmm. of push it higher. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that and uh, coupled with we're getting later and later in Trump's term, uh, there hasn't been anything new uh, established uh, that uh, even people who oppose Donald Trump are saying are turning their eyes to 2020. Yeah, I think it's partially is because Trump looks a little bit weaker right now than he looked about a month ago when it seemed like, you know, he was going to be uh, the president of the United States for two more, for six more years, 10 more years, 14 more years. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. Uh, but now more years things, he wanted to do that. Yeah, but now it seems that there's sort of, there going to be some, there seem to be some real kinks in the armor where there's some right. openings. Now, what's interesting is obviously Donald Trump is not a popular president. Uh, he, a majority of 53% disapprove of the job he's doing but only 35 to 41% support going down an impeachment inquiry. So what's, what's the question here? Well, we find that 22% of people who don't support Donald Trump say don't start impeachment. So one in five people who say Donald Trump is not doing a good job, Donald Trump should not be president, are saying don't impeach him. So we followed up. We actually asked them why, because I think this is really an important thing to understand here. And... We said, you know, whatever reason you're thinking about why this is a bad idea, 26% told us that it's a waste of time and money. And then we had a bunch of other people say it's too late in Trump's term to even start this process. It would backfire on the Democrats. The Senate would not convict. Basically, one in five people who oppose Donald Trump who are looking at the political implications 
And in fact, we asked another question, which was saying, look ahead to 2020. What happens if the House impeaches Donald Trump, but the Senate doesn't convict him? And 31% said he'd be in stronger position to win re-election versus 23. Is that for all people? Is that for all people? That's among all people. Okay. Versus 23% who said he'd be in weaker position. Mm-hmm. And 36% said it would have no impact either way. So while it's not a majority who say you'd be in stronger position, there's more people who say you'd be in stronger position than weaker position. And I think this is what bears this out. Right there, we're seeing what Nancy Pelosi's dilemma is. So you've got Democrats who are saying the political implications don't matter. You have to do this. And then you've got other Democrats who are saying the end goal is removing Donald Trump. And if that's the end goal, impeachment's going to make it harder. And she's got to juggle both sides of that. I understand that. But if we go back to Nixon, we've done this, we've talked about this briefly before, but if we go back to when Nixon was going through the same sort of situation of do we go for impeachment, do we not go for impeachment, there seems to be something here. At the beginning of the process, 19% of Americans were hoping that he would be impeached. 70% said that they didn't want to. A little further along into the process, it was 38% of people to 51%. Then it goes from 38 to 46% say yes, 38% say no, and 16% say they're not sure. And then when it finally went down and Nixon finally had to resign, it was 58, 31, 11. And I think the point that I will continue to come back to is this idea that once all of this stuff comes out in an impeachment inquiry, which is what I think that they should do, that those numbers are going to change. I don't, I don't think so. And, I, and here's why, because I'll take the, the Nixon example that you brought up. It took a long time. It took a couple of years to get from 19 to 38. Those numbers that you that you it was suggested. a year. It was one it was, year. It was yes. a little over a year, and and you're right. They that happened because of the trickle that came out. The jump above fifty percent happened only at the very last month, and that was after it became crystal clear that the House was going to pass impeachment and that the Senate was going to have to go along with the conviction. And Republicans understood that. What we have with Donald Trump, though, is he started off with about four in ten saying he should be impeached when he was only a few months into office. And that number has not moved much, which is saying to me that no matter what comes out, this number isn't moving, that we're in a different environment than we were in Nixon's time. Yeah, we're, we are. We're in a different environment. And he sort of is, is almost proud to you know, stake claim to so many things that would be impeachable in past times because uh, he walks through the world and does his job with zero shame. There's no shame to anything that he does. So, you know, he's like, yeah, I mean, the, the moment that I'm thinking of is the Stephanopoulos moment uh, in the Oval Office when he says, if Russia came to you with information about your next opponent, would you accept it? And he's like, yeah, I think I would accept that. Why mm-hmm. not? You know, and and so he's sort of like saying, yeah, there are no rules. There shouldn't be any rules or the rules are the rules that I'm, you know, that's his, that's his, you know, it's, it's like, you know, Vlad the Impaler is, it's Donald the rule breaker. You know, he's just going to change all the laws, all the rules and and sort of do it to fit his, his style of life. Right. And the different, the different with Nixon himself is that Nixon understood that there were rules and he were, he understood that there were people out there who would try to uphold the, the rules. And while he tried to break the rules, uh, he understood that, that, that there were potential consequences to that. Donald Trump, as you said, the, there are no rules, and he doesn't right. believe that there's anybody out there who would enforce the rules. And he's getting more than enough evidence from his fellow Republicans in Congress uh, that that is, in fact, the case. And that's right. why well, I don't think these numbers would move. Fair enough. They may not have to move. But the the most important thing, I think, for the Democrats going into 2020, because I think that is where the the conversation does shift to, I think that the the 
coming about of these Republicans who are, are turning against him in small numbers. But yeah. the people like Joe Walsh, who's going to be running for president, it seems, uh, against Donald Trump in the Republican primary. If you, if anyone wants to take a little bit of time to take a look at what Joe Walsh is talking about, what he's saying is simply discussing that Donald Trump is absolutely unfit for office, that he is a con- he lies constantly. He puts his own needs and wants ahead of what's best for the country. I think that that would be the benefit of what the impeachment trial would do is sort of put that message out into the environment. I think that that's the thing that I've been calling for this entire time. Yeah, I've, heard, I've, have, heard, I've heard some people talking about that, you know, the idea for an inquiry is that you'd be able to look into things that Mueller didn't look into, which are Trump's finances, where you could dig up a, a lot of stuff. And, and this is really gaming this out. But the idea is that you have the inquiry, you never have formal articles of impeachment. If he happens to right. get reelected, though, you have all the evidence there to move ahead with an impeachment process. Yeah, that'd be tough, man. I mean, yeah. if he if he were to be reelected in 2020 with all of this information out and then to go after him at that point, it seems that's almost seems un, I mean, odd, odd to say that something would be unfair to President Trump. <laughs> <laughs> but that seems like that would be a, sort of a fool's errand at that point. And I think that that's the concern. It's like, well, now you have and we've discussed this, that now you have the opportunity, you have the House. The idea being that if if Trump is reelected, if the House goes back to the Republicans, they hold the Senate, they get full control back of of the branches of government. Well, then you don't have the opportunity to do it. Like It's kind of now or never, it feels like. Well, I think, I mean, look, the reality for most Democrats, whether they support impeachment or not, is that if you're going to get Trump out of office, it has to be at the ballot box in 2020. Uh, so, yes, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, so, the, the yeah, chances you, of the right. Senate impeaching, actually right. impeaching him yeah, yeah. are remarkably low. Right. And, and in fact, only 20% of the public think that it's likely that the Senate would actually vote uh, to, to convict him on those impeachment charges. Well, uh, what and, was the percentage of people that think 20, that the Senate... 20% think that the man, Senate they, is even likely to do that. And, and mean, that's, being, that's being optimistic. That's, that's being more than optimistic. Yeah. I mean, that there's there's a 2%. The way things are right now, there's a 0% chance yeah. that the Senate would, would you know, would impeach him. I mean, I just don't see that happening. I mean, but that's why it's really about, you know, this, and let's get into this now because the the reality is that even if they support impeachment, they're still going to have to defeat him in 2020. And we're starting to see some Republicans who are trying to weak Trump before the general election. Well, this is, yeah, this is what I think is what you brought up about Joe Walsh is is interesting because Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that an impeachment inquiry or anything that could come out of an impeachment inquiry could hurt Trump. But the question is, can you weaken him on the right yes, you by can. making his fellow Republicans absolutely uncomfortable right. with continuing to support somebody who is fully against the rule of law? And to have somebody who, like Joe Walsh, who is a Tea Party guy, I mean, he is as far right as you could have asked for, uh, who's coming out and speaking. And he, one of the impressive things to me about Walsh is he's a great speaker. He's a great communicator. Mm-hmm. He knows when he's on television, he understands you got to keep it moving. You got to keep those eyes open. You got to engage. You got to be listening to what the question is and be able to answer it. And he is, I think, you know, he's like a fire thrower. Um, and I, I think he's, I, I think he's onto something of all of the other people who were possibly, you know, Weld is running, you know, they're, they're talking about Sanford, Mark Sanford. Sanford wants to run Sanford. on economic issues. Sanford could like, go, yeah. I, you know, go, go kiss your, go kiss your girlfriend, Sanford. Yeah. I mean, seriously, he's so, he's so, he's like a wet piece of spaghetti that's been overcooked. <laughs> he ain't even al dente, baby. Um, you know, he, he's really, he's, he, he would do more damage 
to uh, the idea of getting Trump out of office because uh, you know Mark Sanford is a low energy candidate. Even John Kasich at that point, at this point, I don't yeah. think that there's. It's not yet. Yeah, it's not right for John Kasich this year. And I'm. No. I have a lot of respect for John Kasich. Right. Um, I do too. A lot of respect. It's just this is not the right battle for him to run mm-hmm. right here. This is a Joe Walsh. I think has the right. I mean, right, right approach. And and here's why. You go back to the to, to the to the birth of the Tea Party, which happened, which ostensibly what they claim is they were against higher taxes. But of course, they formed before Obama took office and they weren't protesting George W. Bush's high taxes. It was really a reaction to Obama. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's issues of race and all things around the, the, the genesis of the Tea Party. But within that, and I've actually worked with I've actually worked with Tea Party people on issues around uh, redistricting and gerrymandering. And I found a lot of people in the Tea Party who really were sincere about good government. Mm-hmm. You know, can, they, they, could put their, they can put their, uh, their policy positions aside and say, at the end, I'm willing to lose if it's in the cause of good government. And where I have respect for, for Joe Walsh here whether or not I agree with him on his policy stances, sure. is that he he went out of his way to issue a full-throated apology mm-hmm. for, his, for his former support of Trump because of how it's undermining the rule of law. And that's his whole... That's a shtick, man. That's a whole shtick, yes. That's, and that's, the, that's what he... That, that's, you needed somebody from the right to do that. Now, would it be better if it was Bob Corker or if it was Jeff Flake? Actually, probably not. No, maybe. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because I think what Walsh brings to the table is he's almost like Trump. He does not care. You know, he's 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 going to throw nuclear bombs because he so deeply in his heart believes that Trump is a danger to the republic. Donald Trump's been a con man his whole life. Again, for the life of me, John, I don't know why any other Republican can't say this. It's got nothing to do with the debt and the deficits. That's a concern. It's got nothing to do with his bad, horrible tariffs. They are bad and horrible. He is a bad man who, and we don't talk about this enough, John, millions and millions of American children every single day in this country are learning, they're paying attention. They're learning that it's okay to lie and be a bully and be cruel. Um, the only way you primary Donald Trump and beat him is to expose him for the con man he is. Yeah, one of the things that when I talk to voters out in the field in Iowa, New Hampshire, who support Donald Trump, one of the things they keep telling me is they like Donald Trump. He's a he's a fighter. He stands up mm-hmm. to people. And it really is the professional wrestling version of standing up to people because it's fake. I mean, he, de- he doesn't really stand up to people. And that's this Putin thing. I don't know is, about that. This Putin thing is an example. Well, what I'm well saying, the Putin thing is different. I mean, the yeah. Putin thing is different because that has to do with compromise. I mean, being compromised, I believe. Um, that he, all of his, if we look at his foreign choices that he's made, that he's made, it's almost like. I mean, my, I was with my my uncle this past weekend. He said, "I really think he's the Manchurian candidate." Ian. and I went, "Hmm, you know, it, it, as crazy as that might sound." Yeah, there's no one that he is more approving of than Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Well, let me put in another. I, I probably didn't express myself well here. What I'm saying is, is there's that veneer that Trump he yells at people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes bullies after them. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he bullies them. But what what happens with the bully is that you you push. If you push back at him, he backs down. Yeah. 
right? Maybe. So this is well. <laughs> I mean, you've seen it. You've seen you've seen it with Nancy Pelosi. I mean, yeah. you've seen you've seen it with the NRA. Uh, it, whether it's coming from the left or the right, he backs down. So what's interesting to me, and this is why I use the professional wrestling kind of uh, analogy here, is that many people look at him and say, "Yeah, he is that tough fighter," but he 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 will crumble if somebody's willing to stand up to him. And you that's interesting. And that's why I think that Joe Walsh, Walsh is, is the right is, is the right foil, right for man him. for the right person for the job right now. But yeah. you know what's interesting? So Walsh is out here taking swings, right on CNN, on MSNBC, on Fox, any place he can go. He's writing, you know, op eds in the New York Times. Trump's not going after him. No, Trump's not starting a fight with him. You know, I mean, couldn't you hear loser Joe Walsh is out here talking stuff? No, no. he's not going to engage him. He's worried about Be- him. Yeah, he's worried about I him. I wonder if this is, this may have something to do with uh, Trump's uh, bizarre tweet behavior right now. There are a lot of people commenting that his behavior this past week has been... Uh, more erratic. More erratic than than, than normal for, for even Trump. Right. That something is really bothering him. Uh, that's why I, th- I thought that immediately when the Greenland things came out, um, and we'll talk about all these things in hot takes uh, later in this episode. But I th- it, maybe it's Joe Walsh. Maybe that's that's yeah. what he's worried about. Joe Walsh. He should be worried about Joe Walsh. I mean, you know, he's the he's the bad news bears man, and Walsh doesn't need to win to be effective. No, I don't think that Walsh is looking at himself as the next president of the United States. What he's trying to do is get Republicans to make a choice. And to have an alternative. And during that, so you get to the primary and you're a Republican voter in New Hampshire and you say, you know what, I, I, obviously I'm not going to vote for Hillary. I don't want to vote for Elizabeth Warren right now or Bernie Sanders, God forbid. But what, you know, here is, do I want Trump or do I want this other guy who's not going to be causing the same problems? I'm not so tired of all the, you know, all the Michigas that's going on. You know what, I think I'm going to go with Walsh. Well, once you decide to go against President Trump, once Tough mm-hmm. to get back on that train again. Right. Because then to, you, you've got to justify it in your mind. And you have to say, well, you know, I actually think that uh, I actually think he's not good for the country. Well, once you decide that, are you really going to go out in November of 2020 and vote for him again against an alternative? And I think that's what's, what Walsh is looking for. Yeah. I, and I hope, you know, in, in terms of this debate and how this plays out, that he, he keeps up in this basically this attitude that, that he's taking, this tactic uh, that he's going to use. Because um, I, saw, I saw an ad recently, I think you saw it too, uh, out in Kentucky, Republicans for Rule of Law. Yes. Mitch McConnell recently blocked two election security bills from being voted on in the Senate and took to the Senate floor to explain. Facts are that this administration has made huge strides on election security and are vigilant and proactive as we head into 2020. But can we trust this administration to defend our elections when our president stood on a stage with the person that attacked America and said, Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this, I don't see any reason why it would be. You can read that with Vladimir Putin. Uh, You don't really believe this, do you believe this? Call Senator McConnell and tell him, America is relying on you to let Congress do its job and secure our elections. I don't think that was an effective ad. Uh, I think it's the right message, but an ineffective ad because the ad was Donald Trump saying all these things about being okay with Russia interference and then Mitch McConnell supporting that. And that to me is, well, who's the audience for that? If the audience is voters in Kentucky who love Donald Trump, well, then you're just telling them that, that Mitch McConnell has Trump's back, which helps Mitch McConnell, to my view, in his 2020 reelection bid. Yeah. 
I mean, what did you think? What did you think of it? What did you no, think? I didn't, of it? I didn't take that. I didn't take that angle on it. My 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 response is just a shock that I'm always so it's it's you know it's like the cavalry is showing up. Anytime someone on the Republican side stands up against Donald Trump and stands up against what's happening in the country, I'm just so thrilled that someone is from that side is willing to stand up. So that's kind of how I took that ad. Well, I, I mean, still thought that it was it. I, Yeah, I look at it in terms of, well, who is your audience, right? So that's the question. You might have the right message, but but not put in the right way for that, that, that audience. And that's why we're talking about, you know, Bill Weld isn't right, uh, Mark Sanders isn't right, John Kasich isn't right for the moment. And I think that ad was kind of in that vein from, from my point of view, is that are you trying to defeat Mitch McConnell in 2020, because that doesn't help, because it helps him ride uh, Trump's coattails. Are you trying to get Mitch McConnell to do the right thing no. in, on, on election do? security, if that's the purpose of it, just to just to light a fire under him? I don't think that works either, because one of the things that we we seem to have discovered is that McConnell does not like being called Moscow Mitch. And I think that ad would have been much more effective if you took Trump out of it and just made it about Mitch McConnell being Moscow Mitch and standing. And well, even though there's all this evidence that Russia interfered, Mitch McConnell, and, and without mentioning Trump, Mitch McConnell stands stands against that and stands for Russian interference in our elections. And I think that would have been a much more effective ad, regardless of the audience that you're going for. So that okay, that's just my way I, of saying that. That, that I think that you know there there are a lot of good intentioned, well intentioned Republicans out there who are never Trumpers who are, or who, like Joe Walsh, have just come to this conclusion that this is really, this is bad for the republic, but that their tactics need a little bit more help. Okay. Um, now, one of the questions is, how, how are the Democrats going to receive some of these converts, right? Um, people who are looking at Joe Walsh. It seems to me that largely Democrats are very understandingly approving of what he's doing, or um, uh, there's a man named David Weissman who ha- was a, a very strong uh, advocate for the for Trump in 2016, and who made a similar turn. And there are some Democrats who are like, "Oh, you're not." There was a there was a, a, a like a thread where there was a Democrat saying these these people, the Bill Crystals of the world, the Joe Walshes of the world, they're they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They don't really care. Yeah, no, that's not right. And that's not a that's not the right path for the Democrats to take. Like you need to grow your coalition right now against um, an immediate danger to the republic. These re- these Republicans are to be welcomed with absolute open arms, as far as I'm concerned. Well, yeah, I'm not sure um, if open arms is the is the right terminology here, because remember, you know, Bill Crystal is. Uh, considered a neocon uh, support for the Iraq war, among other things. And I can understand why there's a reticence for accepting no, them. No, no, set, no. Accepting them no. As, as part of the Democratic uh, coalition. However, but, accepting them as uh, somebody who you're going to work with, to collaborate with, just like you need to get anything done. And this is, this is and I understand what you're saying is, there is no bigger existential threat to the American system of government right now than what's happening <laughs> yeah. around Donald Trump, right? So any yes. port in a, you know, any port in a storm or, you know, and, and we actually yes. saw that during the American Revolution, right? You had bizarre coalitions coming together of people who would never agree with each other on so many other issues who had to. So we're not, I think the, the key that these Democrats have to understand that you're talking about is that you're not accepting them as Democrats. They're never going to no. be Democrats. You're accepting you don't them. Need them to be you're, Democrats. you're fighting a different battle. You're not fighting the battle right. of policy. You're fighting the battle for the heart and soul 
of the American Republic. That's the and, great and advantage. And they're your allies in that. Absolutely. That's a great advantage of what Walsh is talking about. He's like, don't. And, and I think the Democrats should start doing this as well to a large extent. Stop talking about what you're going to do with health care yep. right now. That's not the biggest that's not the biggest threat. The biggest threat is that it's not the biggest problem the country has. You spend 80% or 90% of your time talking about policies. There's no policies because there's no country if you don't beat Donald Trump. That's the advantage of what what Joe Walsh is bringing to the table. Now, we can talk about, you know, Scaramucci and how Well, that, I yeah, this is where the problem lies, right? With with well, people like Scaramucci is who how do you separate those who are doing this sincerely like and I do believe Joe Walsh is doing this sincerely. 100%. Right? From those who I think are just self-serving and trying to ride this wave, like I'm not Anthony quite, Scaramucci. I'm not quite as hard on Scaramucci as you are. I'm not. I know that your feelings about him are that he's self-serving and that he's a snake in the grass and that he's going to turn right back to Trump. Like the idea, like I'll ask you this. If, do you believe if Trump called Scaramucci up and said, hey, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Why don't you come back and work in the administration? Do you think he would do that? Yes. I do not. Think I do. He would do that. I absolutely I do. do. I do. Well, I okay. put money that's, down on it. Okay. <laughs> I do. I just well, do. that's, I mean, and, that and, right and neither of like, hey, look, neither of us know Anthony Scaramucci personally. No. So, I mean, we're, we're just spinning our, our wheels here. But um, no, I really, I, I just. I, I watch him very carefully. I remember when Scaramucci first got the job, uh, I thought to myself, this is dangerous, this guy, because he's really smooth. He's, he's slick, but he's also, he's very slick, you know, but he's also smooth. He also knows how to talk and he knows how to fight. He's like Joe Walsh. He doesn't have the credibility of Joe Walsh, right? So there was right. a period of time, I think, so, last week where people were talking about, well, maybe Scaramucci can run again. That would have been a disaster. Yeah. But that would not have been a good I, idea. You just hit on it. He doesn't have the credibility of Joe Walsh. So what yeah, does he but, do? What does he do? He has a phone call with Bill Crystal, and then he basically leaks the fact that he had the phone call with Bill Crystal to the press to try to give himself credibility. That's how I see it. I get it. He, I, I get that because Bill Crystal is the credibility of the, of the right. I mean, he's the king of the of the never Trumpers. I mean, but for Scaramucci, look, I hear where you're coming from, but yeah. I also think well, we know, need a we need a we need a George Washington out there. We need a General Washington who understands, who has a really good read on human nature, surrounds himself with those generals, know who's out for himself. And uses him to the extent that he can use him and then hangs him out to dry like he did with Charles Lee and, and others when it's time to do that. Well, uh, that's wait what, a minute. So, yeah. I'm going to fight. I wouldn't call what happened with General Lee hanging, hanging him out to dry. I think that uh, well, I mean, Lee, General Lee, Lee, Lee did it. Yeah, no, Lee did it to himself. What I'm saying yeah. is, is, is George Washington, Washington said, "Here, here, take the rope with you." Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, but but don't. But but I but I what, 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 what I'm talking about is that that when you have people like like Scaramucci who are trying <laughs> to get in on this game because there's no way they're going to get back into the Trump circle, so they're trying to look for another way to be relevant. Uh, that you just have to be careful. I mean, you know what's they interesting, don't, they don't, right? They don't misuse no, you. I will say that. I will say this. Using Washington as the as the basis of this, Scaramucci does have a little bit of Benedict Arnold in him. And I don't mean that <laughs> against Trump. I, I mean that against Walsh. Like, yeah. you know, it, I, I'm not, please, I'm not calling him, I'm, I'm not calling him Benedict Arnold. But if we were setting this up as Walsh, as Washington, Right, and then he brings like you know keep Scaramucci. I, I would I would encourage I, though I do think Scaramucci like Benedict Arnold 
is a good fighter, right? Yeah. I mean, you could argue that as bad as Benedict Arnold was, without the Battle of Saratoga, there'd be no United States of America because it was only the Battle of Saratoga that gave France the idea and the belief that this was something to get behind. And Scaramucci is out there punching. I don't think he should do it in tandem with Walsh. I don't think Walsh should tie his boat to Scaramucci's boat. I think that's dangerous. Right. But to have Scaramucci out there taking the fight to Trump every chance that he gets, it's not as effective as Walsh, but it doesn't hurt my feelings. Did it? Yeah, did it work for the British when uh, Benedict Arnold switched over? A little bit. It could have. A it little bit. Have. But yeah, it's, I mean, that is that is exactly what Benedict Arnold did. He was he was fighting the good fight for his his side, felt he did not get his due, that he was dissed, which is exactly what, how Arnold felt about uh, Washington and, and, and Congress. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, this is how Scaramucci feels about Trump. And so he switched sides. It's a little complicated, yeah. though, because yeah. now Trump is, you know, in that analogy, Trump is Washington and Benedict Arnold. Well, you know yeah, what I'm saying? We're not saying that, but the, but the idea is that uh, if you just, just focus on the Benedict Arnold part. As, as the man who played George Washington for four years, it is painful to me. To watch President Trump stand in front of that portrait of Washington and give speeches. And the, the, the dynamic between our first president and our most recent president is, 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 the difference is quite stark. But we'll see what happens in the next coming weeks. But let's move on to our hot take segment. This is where we're going to only have 90 seconds to discuss a bunch of different topics of the day. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next topic. Okay, so let's start with the news that Trump has been pondering making an offer on Greenland. So what do you make of that? I did not like that very much. <laughs> when I first heard about it, and it was interesting because some people who I respect were like, hey, it's a great idea. Uh, you know, Harry Truman discussed this idea back in the day. Mm-hmm. And there are some geopolitical advantages to us taking on Greenland. But the problem is, let's say we did do that. Let's say Denmark was like, hey, you know what? You can take over our $600 million a year uh, payment that we have to pay, and you give us $10 billion and we'll give you Greenland. What's going to stop Russia from starting to buy up countries? What's going to stop China from buying up countries? Yeah, It's a very dangerous situation. In fact, it's funny because I saw there was a poll that Gallup did in 1947 after World War II when when Truman was discussing this. uh, And and there was some support among the public for, for buying Greenland back then. Uh, I think I saw a poll now that there isn't that support uh, for Trump doing that. But yeah, I, it's it's really interesting. Um, but I saw, did you, you saw Trump, Trump's tweet to the uh, yes. prime minister of Denmark, yeah. right? Canceling yeah. that, that thing. I read that tweet and I thought, that doesn't sound exactly like Trump. It used some of his tropes, but it didn't sound exactly like as as vicious as he can get. In these situations, and I'm wondering is it is it because this was built around a real estate deal, and he's in real estate mode, and yeah, so I mean, so so this is like part way, of his negotiating process. In a way, my first thought when I first heard it, before I even gave it any thought, was I was like, well, now you're finally actually doing something that you're good at, right? right? Like finding a way to add more real estate. It's just the long term ramifications. He's you know he came out throwing fire at the at the Denmark uh, yeah, leader well. just the day the next day calling her a nasty woman. Okay, so another piece of news um, to leak out of the White House is that Trump seems to have done a flip flop and flip again on the tax cuts. Yeah, this is an issue where. Right, he was there, he was considering a payroll tax. They were talking about it. He sent his people out to deny that they were talking about it. And then he confirmed it within hours himself and now has said that he's not considering a payroll tax. And this is the thing that 
I think is hurting him in terms of uh, what happened with the initial tax cut is that people like the idea of a tax cut, but when we ask them about the one that was already passed, um, most folks say they don't feel that they got their fair share from it. Uh, yeah. So, so it you know, it's, it cuts both ways uh, on taxes for Trump. That you know, you know he's he had, going after he's going after Jerome Powell. He's doing everything in his power to say, "Hey, this great economy when it's going great, it's all for me because I'm doing what I'm doing." And if it looks like it might take a little bit of a dive, you know that Jerome Powell, that Jerome Powell, he's fast and furious with his you know interest rates rising. And what what's apparent is that he he's so reckless. He's so constantly reckless. He just doesn't think more than one move down the board. My friend Gary Kasparov would kick his butt. Well, anybody <laughs> would kick his butt in chess. And yeah. Kasparov would kick anybody's butt in chess. But he really just thinks about what's right in front of him. There was a funny tweet, and I don't have a quote on it, but it was something like um, the president, everyone thinks that President Trump is playing three-dimensional chess. But really what's happening is that his staff is just trying to keep him from eating the pieces. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right. So, um, you know, the, the most controversial thing among the things that we've been talking about that Trump said in the past week probably is that Jews who vote for Democrats are disloyal. I didn't. I, you know, I'm confused by this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 I know it's wrong what he said. Um and it's it's an anti-Semitic trope that has been pulled back about you know is your loyalty that in World War II Germany right. was saying or who are you loyal to the state of Israel which wasn't even a state yet or to Germany, um, and it's it's bizarre like and I don't I don't it, as a Jewish person I don't actually understand like I don't get it do, do, can you can you explain well it to me? this is what's funny because Omar uh, Representative Omar and um, and Talib were were catching flack just uh, a month ago for saying something very similar like that that suggesting that 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 Jewish Americans have split loyalties and the Republicans jumped all over them yeah now you got the president saying the same exact thing well, it, but see, he didn't even say that. He said, you're not being, like, you should have split loyalties. Well, not the same exact thing. Yeah, he yeah, said, yeah you're, saying, you're, saying, you're saying you should be loyal to, to Israel. You should be loyal right. to yeah, Israel. I, and I, don't, I am Israel. I'm the man of God. I am the chosen. I mean, I am the chosen one, man. Come on, dude. Oh. Looking up in the sky and, and saying these things, it is remarkable. But it's also true that 76 to 78% of Jews vote in on the Democratic side. Yeah. And I don't imagine that's going to shift much in this next election. Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, I don't think that this is going to change their mind uh, no. about this, uh, regardless of how they feel about the state of Israel. Uh, and no. and I think in, in insulting their intelligence on top of it, which is something that he also did in that tweet, uh, is, isn't helping him with that group. Okay, now Trump also this week was talking again about wanting Russia to return to the G7 to turn it back into a G8. What do you think of that idea? Uh, I think we mentioned it at the top. Uh, Vladimir Putin is really out to to control the world in some mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. Yeah, uh, that he feels that that's necessary to protect Russia. Uh, that Trump is his willing accomplice in this. Uh, Think about that. Think about that. That Donald Trump, our president, you just called him a willing accomplice with our greatest geopolitical foe which is Russia. And we know this because Robert Mueller, the one thing he was incredibly right. clear about is that Russia is working to affect our elections and our democracy. 
And here is the President of the United States doing everything he can to put Russia into the strongest position. That, that's the thing that is so shocking to me that people don't talk enough about. Before the election in 2016, Kevin McCarthy said that he is sure that there are two people, three people, on um, Putin's payroll. President Trump, Devin Nunez, and Rohrbacher. Now, Rohrbacher, people have been talking about him for years that he was. Nunez is proving himself to do that. And so is the president of our United States. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. Yeah, I don't, I don't get how this continues. Uh, and I think this is, this is why I go back to what we're talking about, Mitch McConnell and that, that ad and Joe Walsh's campaign. I think this is your wedge issue. This is where you go back and say, hey, Republicans, remember Russia? Remember how you feel about Russia because of what we know about Russia? So uh, I think that's where they need to go. All right, let's turn to the Democratic side of things right here. And specifically, one of the things that we've been seeing is the rise of Elizabeth Warren. So she's still trailing Joe Biden in the polls, but she is now the favorite in the betting markets to win the Democratic nomination. And this is just now, I think this is is just about the nomination. So we're not talking about what things would be like for her against President Trump in an election. But again, going back to the idea about Elizabeth Warren, the best communicator, along with Mayor Pete Buttigieg, um, on the Democratic side. And actually, in some ways, Warren is better than Mayor Pete, um, partially because she, she just comes with... More, it seems more There's substance. More, there seems to be more substance to what yeah, she's saying. Yeah, there seems to be she more substance to what yep. she's saying. And, and, and she's got more weight to her. I mean, she, Mayor Pete is, is, a, is a fine politician and I think does have a great future in the Democratic Party. But Warren is, is looking like the class of the field at this point. Yeah, I think we're seeing many, many polls where she's rising and, and in a way that other candidates haven't. So Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris... Beto O'Rourke all had their moments in the sun. Harris is still doing basically okay. But Elizabeth Warren's rise seems to be very workmanlike in the sense yeah. that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Good she work. is, she's pulling people in by slowly convincing them that she's the one and they're sticking with her once she gets them mm-hmm. because well, of did her you ability see that, to communicate. Did you see that video of her in Iowa running through a field to get to the front? Yes. Man, that was cool. Yeah. I was just like, look at her go. You know, she's, we're talking about Joe Walsh being willing to stand up for a fight. Elizabeth Warren is ready to stand up for a fight. And yeah. this is a fight that I think that there have been many for the last couple of years. I remember right after 2016, I was talking to a friend who was saying, you know, that Elizabeth Warren, man, 2020, it's all about Elizabeth Warren. I was like, I don't know if that's going to work out. Yeah. Now I'm going to have that's, to call him That's, and say, that's what it's looking like. Right. It's looking yeah. like that way. It's- Certainly is. And we've been seeing a lot of hypothetical head-to-head polls recently. Trump versus Biden, Trump versus Warren. Do they mean anything at all at this stage? Uh, my opinion is that no, they do not. Uh, I don't do them this early on. And, th- and here's the reason why is that so we're seeing Warren rise right uh, in the nomination process, but she's still trailing Biden in these head to heads. But those head to heads are are based on a campaign that hasn't yet to take place. And there are so many factors that go into uh, a presidential election campaign when you get to the general election. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, all thought that Hillary Clinton was more electable than Bernie Sanders. And I think, in retrospect, you look back and you say Sanders Actually, would no. have been Sanders, Sanders probably would have been able to stand up to that fight and the attacks Sanders that came from. Won. Yeah, what Sanders we what we won. found from Hillary Clinton's campaign is that they were not ready for the type of campaign that was going to happen, for the changes and shifts that Trump was able to create in the electorate, and they weren't able to respond. 
Uh, prior to that, she looked fine. If it was going to be a typical Republican opponent, she probably would have been able to beat them. But they were not. Maybe. She was maybe. not. Yeah. But, but, but the, point, also, the point being is that that's why these polls are, are, are fairly meaningless at this point. The yeah, only thing, the I, only poll that, that I look at that, that in terms of t- looking ahead to 2020 is what's your, what's, how do you feel about reelecting Donald Trump? Period. Take, mm-hmm. take the Democrat out of it. And if he's well below 50%, that's a problem. Well, right now he's at 39%. Well yeah. Right now yeah. he's at 39%. I saw one poll where he was at 36%. Yeah. I saw that poll where he was at 36% and 53% were, were strongly disapproving of his performance. That's pretty strong. Right. So that's just a starting point. So let's you know, put, the, put these head-to-heads aside uh, for now and uh, let the Democratic primary proceed so these candidates can show the public actually what they're made of. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's time to move on to our Guardian of the Week. And this is someone who has looked beyond their own short-term political interests to uphold the values of the republic. And Ian, you have the nominee for us this week. I do. Um, my nominee this week is William Crystal, who we were talking about earlier in the show. Um, Mr. Crystal has, to me, ever since 2016, early 2016, when he was seeing the writing on the wall that Trump was actually going to be the nominee, he was doing everything he could to get a third party to someone from the right to run as a third party candidate to make sure that Donald Trump would not be in office. Here's here's a man who has been attacked by Donald Trump by name regularly over the course of the last two and a half years and has steadfastly against his own personal interest, uh, you know, has has been steadfastly standing up to Trump and doing everything he could to find himself a nominee who could help take Donald Trump down. And I think he may have just found that guy with Joe Walsh. Yes. Uh, I will say, uh, you know, so William Crystal, how I came to know him was as a pundit, uh, as a prognosticator. And he has a long history of being very bad at that. And that doesn't undermine at all or negate at all in any way, shape or form what you were saying. He was, he was an early never Trumper. Uh, for the right reasons, because mm-hmm. it was bad for his party. And now he continues to be a never-Trumper because it's bad for the republic uh, in terms of the, his, the norms of behavior. Uh, and But I just wanted to bring up this as kind of something that's nagging in the back of my head about this. And, and by the way, uh, Bill Crystal was, his group was behind that Mitch McConnell ad that I, yes, that's that, right. that I mentioned He's earlier. Everywhere. And so one thing that I, uh, that, that I would give a, a piece of advice to Bill Crystal is that on on the on the issue itself you know he's he's in the right space but in terms of understanding how this will play out and how others will respond to it he has a history of not actually reading the public correctly and so i hope he takes really good advice from others in terms of understanding how this will play out that things that will appeal to him and his circle won't necessarily play well with the others that he will need to convince yeah okay that that's fine I do know there's no other person on the Republican side who is leading in the way that Bill Crystal is mm-hmm. to his own detriment. I mean, you have to imagine that yeah. the people who he has spent in his inner circle for the last 40 years of his life, you know, I mean, he, he was a speechwriter for, for Ronald Reagan, I believe. Yes. And in, in all of these years, he's built up friendships, relationships, and he's turning his back on all that now. I put yeah. him in the same category as I would with Max Boot. Yeah, Where, I think. You know, I, yeah, I think there's some evidence that would suggest that his, his magazine, The Weekly Standard, probably was losing started was losing subscriptions because of his stand against Trump. Yeah, back in and then they got rid of The Weekly Standard. Right. 
because of his stance against Donald Trump. So if we go back to w what makes our guardian of the week, someone who's looked beyond their short-term political interest to uphold the values of the Republic, I would say he's looked beyond his short-term personal business and political interests to uphold the values of the Republic. And that is why my nominee for this week is William Crystal. Okay. So, okay, that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Uh, make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes, and please give us a rating in your favorite podcast app so others can find us, such as iTunes or Overcast. Uh, check out our website at guardians-republic.com or on Twitter at guardiansotr. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with a new episode. See ya. See ya.